With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor from Taco Falls, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker from the University of Connecticut. Welcome back to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA. I'm here with Jay King. Say what's up, Jay. What's up? So, Jay, you want to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, uh, who you write for, what you do? Write for The Athletic, write about the Celtics, and have a podcast, Anything is Potable. That's on The Athletic Network. Yeah, so I appreciate you coming on today. And so, obviously, All-Star Weekend just concluded. Now we're left in the drought of basketball that I dread every year, so we don't have any games for what till Thursday and no Celtics games till Friday. It's a little disappointing. Devastating. Devastating. Although I like the break. I'm not going to lie. You like the break? Yeah. I need a few days to recharge before the stretch run. Okay. Okay. I understand. I feel that I'm excited for this stretch (laughs) run though. This year, especially because there's no, there's no clear favorite. I feel like this year, anything can happen. Yeah. Although the bucks have been ridiculous regular season. I don't, I don't know if they're a clear cut title favorite, but they have, been just historic in the regular season yeah no they're they're a little terrifying i'll I'll give you that i don't know (laughs) i don't know if there's much people can do to stop Giannis. it's all about slowing him down i think at this point yeah for sure so um like i mentioned all-star weekend just concluded i would say that's the best all-star game i've watched in a long time what do you think yeah i feel like when uh when magic johnson came back for the all-star game that was Mm-hmm. probably the best i've seen after that i can't remember one that was just played at such a competitive quality as the fourth quarter in last night's game it was finally uh every year i get so mad at the all-star game because nobody cares and it's just a dunk fest and the possibilities of it like it never compares to the possibilities but last night for the first time it compared and it wasn't like Christmas execution. It wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of like highlight plays down the stretch. But when five of the best players are going against five of the other best players and playing hard as hell, it's just fun to watch. And it reminds you of how just how good you have to be to get a bucket against that level of competition. Like the defense was awesome. I was I was a huge fan of the way they played that fourth quarter, especially. Yeah, the fourth quarter was amazing to watch. Like they were just going back and forth and back and forth. And like I mentioned, I wrote an article for my website about it. I mentioned like having Harden, Chris Paul, and LeBron on the same team must be a referee's nightmare. Like they were just like not holding back. They were going at the refs after every call. Like Harden got a foul. All three of them would just rush up to them and start screaming. And I feel like those refs were going in there saying like, okay, this will just be a nice fun night of basketball. We'll have some fun, get a nice break before the end of the stretch of the season, <laughs> and then they just got screamed at by some of and the, all of the sudden, best Kyle players Lowry's, in the league. Kyle Lowry is flopping everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> players are cussing him out. Yeah, it, it probably wasn't what they anticipated. No, but I respect the hell out of Kyle Lowry. I saw people all over Twitter saying he ruined the game. but it, No, it, he was awesome. Yeah, if he didn't draw those fouls, Team Giannis has no chance. He kept them in the game. He, he was awesome. and it, it was great Like to see 
the top competitors actually competing. It was awesome. When when Giannis, you know, the the play I thought that kind of sparked everything was when LeBron was in the corner and Giannis was guarding him, mm-hmm. and LeBron LeBron went to a, a turnaround and Giannis blocked it. Yeah, and I felt like at that moment everybody was like, "Okay, it's on." Like like they they'd started to pick it up a little bit before then, but from then it was like, "Okay, let's see who the baddest boys are out here." And the rest of the way, it was just everybody was locked in. Kyle Lowry, I I, I love Kyle Lowry's game. I, I just think the, the how hard he plays and how smart he is on a basketball court is just close to unmatched. So I I, I loved him flopping around <laughs> doing all that stuff. It was fun. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I'd say he's one of the more gritty players in the league. Like he does he does whatever whatever is needed for his team to get the win, and I I respect the hell out of that. What would you say your favorite moment from the game was? Like individual probably, moment, probably that play with Giannis yeah. on LeBron because it was just like, okay, snapped, kind of snapped everybody out of the doldrums, snapped everybody out of like the All Star game feel, and then from then on, like LeBron was going full speed, and and everybody was like, like I said, just locked in. There were, I mean, there were a lot, lot of, lot of nice plays, a lot of, lot of impressive plays, especially defensively, but that to me was like like the moment when you saw Giannis like taking the challenge of, of LeBron and then LeBron, you could see him like, okay, we're, we're doing this now. <laughs> and, and everybody from there just kind of ratcheted up because those guys are, you know, the, the two all-star captains, two of the top five players in the world, two of the most respected guys. And I, I thought once, once Giannis brought that level, everybody else just decided, okay, let's do this. No. Yeah, for sure. I was a big fan of, uh, when Harden went for the win on the step back three and committed a clear offensive foul. I'd like to emphasize a clear offensive foul on Kyle Lowry. And then he made the shot. That was that was huge for me. I was just like, oh, wait, this is serious. This is happening. Like, they're mad right now. Kyle Lowry just did that. I also like LeBron pulling up from, like, 40 to try to win. Yeah. That would have been epic. <laughs> if he hit that nowhere. shot. Oh. I felt like he was just tired and wanted to end it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's ready to go. I also respected, like, as much as I don't like the Sixers as a Celtics fan, when Joel Embiid pulled that move on LeBron, that got me out of my seat. I was like, wait, hold up. That was crazy. Yeah, that was nice. So, yeah, moving back, though, one night prior to that, we had the uh, the festivities of three-point contest, skills challenge, and the dunk contest. The three-point shootout was entertaining as hell. I'll give Buddy Heald props for that. That ending round was great. The skills challenge was fun, although I wish Tatum got a little further. And then there's the dunk contest. Do you have any thoughts on the dunk contest? Uh, I, the judges should never be allowed to judge again. I agree. There there should be no collusion in a dunk contest. Like, obviously, a dunk contest isn't the most serious thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But I feel like historically, like winning a dunk contest matters. Yeah. And... You, judges shouldn't be talking to themselves and trying to collude so that they're tied and one judge decides, oh, I'm not going to do that and picks the winner by himself. That shouldn't be how it happens. Like, just judge the best dunk and give the winner to the best dunker, whoever whoever had the best slams. And so that bothered me. It bothered me probably more than it should have. But I've never been a big All-Star Weekend guy. I'm, I'm not, not usually about that life. But... It, it was a pretty good – it was one of the better dunk contests in recent years, I thought. It, it picked up toward the end. Yeah. I thought Dw- Dwight Howard had, like, 
what was he doing there? He, <laughs> yeah. he, he shouldn't be there anymore. Uh, I thought Connaughton's dunk off the backboard was pretty awesome. That, like, that was one of the better dunks that was in dope. the whole contest. And then Derek Jones is, and Aaron Gordon are just absolute freaks. So it was fun to watch those guys. No, for sure. I feel like when we have the judges there, they should have those, like, dividers. Like, when you go to vote for, like, actual elections, like, you can't see what everyone else is voting for. That should be the dunk contest. Like, so there's no collusion, so you can't see what everyone else is doing. You just have to base it on what you think the dunk was. That way there'd be no mix-up, and if it's a tie, it's a tie. But if it's not, then we know who actually wins. Yeah, they, sh- they should be in their own little booths. No, for sure. Aaron Gordon at this point, I feel like should have two trophies. He should have two dunk contest trophies, and he ex- he expressed that. But h- how do you not give him a fifty for dunking over Taco? For God's sake, holy crap! All I will say, he didn't quite clear him. Yeah, no, he hit his head a little bit, but still, <laughs> he didn't I mean, quite clear him. But he, yeah, he, he should he should have won the contest. He he deserved it. Yeah. The Levine one, like the Levine one, was epic. That was mm-hmm. after probably the Vince Carter one, when Vince Carter was just. <laughs> flawless yeah. that was probably my favorite dunk contest that i've ever watched but th- this one wasn't quite at that level gordon deserved to win it he definitely did i agree i'd say the best two dunks of the night were Derek jones having a guy throw it off the backboard jumping over him then putting it between his legs and dunking it all in one dunk and then when gordon had markel throw it off the side of the backboard and windmilled it in I, I don't know which one of them was better, but those have to be some of the best dunks I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, those were impressive. But yeah, All-Star Weekend, I would say, was a big success. I thought the way they um, paid tribute to Kobe on All-Star Game Night was great. I thought Common's intro was great. I thought the Chicago commercial was great with like Obama, Jesse Williams, and all them. I thought they just did a great job of putting the whole weekend together in the end. Yeah, I, I thought, especially the common thing was cool. Like, I, I liked when he was talking about the city of Chicago. And he was talking about Dwayne Wade and kind of speaking of Dwayne Wade's importance and how, how impressive it was that, you know, he made the path that he did. And then they showed Dwayne Wade and he was, like, tearing up in the crowd. Oh, yeah. That was powerful. That was really powerful. That was, that was cool. It was a little goofy when Common started rapping the, the player's yeah. names. Yeah, that was... With, with whatever else that was a little goofy but but before that he was definitely i thought he did a great great job i've always been a comic guy so i thought thought he he was a good choice yeah i felt like he was stretching it a bit with some of those rhymes with the player names but up to that point he was doing a great job so i can't fault him for that i guess but yeah Yeah, i'm not sure refusal rhymes with uh Giannis's last name yeah i don't know what he's supposed to do there but (laughs) anyways he, he tried his best i'll give him that but All-Star Weekend, I would say, was a success overall. Um, I enjoyed watching it. But now I'm ready to get back to some actual NBA basketball. Yeah, me too. I'm ready. Um, so close, closing in, end of the stretch of the season, we have some teams uh, fighting for the playoffs. We have the Celtics fighting for, I would say, the two seed against the Raptors because I think I think the Bucks have that lock, uh, one seed locked up pretty tight. But... Do you think the eight teams in the playoffs right now in the East I'm talking about are going to make it, or do you think like Washington or Chicago could sneak in? Uh, I mean they could. It, it's embarrassing they still have a shot, honestly. Yeah, like the bottom of the East is so bad. Mm-hmm. the The Wizards are twenty and thirty three, twenty <laughs> and thirty three, and just two games back in the lost column. Like they shouldn't have a shot. 
so yeah, I mean, I think out of those two teams, I, I I'd lean toward the Wizards having a shot because they do have a really good offense and they do have Bradley Beal, and like they're only two games back in the loss column. But it really is it it's wild they're still in the shot. No, yeah, for sure. What two teams would you most like to see in the playoffs? Like, I'd like to see Brooklyn in there, just on the off chance we get to play Kyrie. I think that'd be entertaining, but would you rather have, like, Orlando in there, Washington? Who would be most entertaining for you? Uh, <laughs> maybe Washington because Bradley Beal, but those teams are all, like, Brooklyn with Kyrie has, has some, some value, and I think that they're much better probably than the, the other teams. For sure. But the uh, – yeah, the Magic, the Wizards, the Bulls, the Hornets. If we're going to include them in there, mm-hmm. none of them do. None of them do anything for me. No. <laughs> Might as well just give give the Bucks a buy. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. I, I was just going to say they're all fighting for the eight seed just to get slapped up by the Bucks in four games. So there's no really point in it. I would just fight for the lottery pick instead at this point. Exactly. But yeah, the top six teams in the East, I would say, scare me. Indiana's been struggling recently, but. The top six teams in the East, I think, are all legit. Like, obviously, the Bucks are a, a level up from everybody else at this point, I would say. But Toronto, Boston, Miami, Philly, and Indiana are all, like, real, real teams. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, Indiana, obviously, since Oladipo came back, kind of having troubles reacclimating him into the lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I think those were kind of predictable. But I think they're going to be – they're like, that's not an easy team to play in the playoffs. And – especially the way most teams play, they're a lot bigger and a lot stronger inside than, than most teams are. Demontis Sabonis is a force. So I do think they are a legitimate team in the playoffs. I think for Boston, for their from their standpoint, getting the two seed would be a big deal because yeah. I think there's a big a big drop-off from the Pacers to the Nets in, in a playoff series. And I, I think it would be an easier playoff series to go against Brooklyn and a more entertaining playoff series to, sure. to have Kemba versus Kyrie and Kyrie versus the old guys and versus old teammates. I, I'd be all in on a, on a Brooklyn Boston series. I'd agree. I, I'm hoping to get some tickets to the Nets game that's coming up, but who knows if Kyrie will bitch out again. Um, <laughs> I think I would, let me ask you this actually first out of those, say Boston gets the three seed and Toronto sticks with it. Cause they've been on fire up until that one loss they had, who would you most want to face? Like, I'm not saying I would want to face any of the top six teams because they're all really good, but would you rather face Miami, Philly, or Indiana? Like, who scares you the least, let's say? Indiana. Really? Okay. Indiana is the least scary team to me. Miami, and then Philly, and then Toronto, and then Milwaukee is obviously the scariest. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Philly's got the star power. Yeah, I, I think Boston and Toronto are like the same tier behind Milwaukee. Yeah, and you think the other three are tier down below them? Yeah, I think, I mean, Miami, they needed to get defensive wings, and they went out and got Iguodala, and they went out and got Jay Crowder. I just don't know if they have enough actual talent. Okay. Like, those guys are fine enough, and Jimmy Butler's great, and Adebayo's great, but, like, in a playoff series, you can take some things away, and I just – don't see them having enough like legitimately good players to to compete with 
the Toronto's and Boston's. I mean, they'll compete with them, but, but yeah. to beat one of those teams in a seven-game series, I just don't think I buy into the Heat as a playoff team right now. I see that. They're pretty young, too. Like, they have all these young pieces that are contributing, and I think that's a big reason why they're good. Like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, who are going to be in their first playoffs ever, and I, I think that matters a lot more than people realize. Like, rookies don't always perform amazing like Jason Tatum in the playoffs. Like, there's nerves there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Philly for a second because everyone coming into the season thought they were the one seed or the two seed and they were locked there because they had this huge defensive long front court. All they had to do was learn to shoot and they didn't learn to shoot. Like they, they have been one of the worst shooting teams in the league. I would say they don't have scoring off the bench, neither do the Celtics, but I would say it's kind of worse in Philly at this point. But do you think that, what do you think happens? Say Philly somehow gets knocked out in the first round by, like, Miami, because that's a possibility. Like, Miami's not, like you said, a real playoff team. Or, I mean, they, they, there's questions there, but it's possible that Philly loses in a first-round series against somebody there. Like, they could end up playing us. They could end up playing Miami. No one knows. But what do you think happens in the off season? Do you think they just keep the same team and try to figure it out, or do they make some moves? No, I, I think they have some real questions. I, I think – their best players, there are some real fit issues there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and neither of those guys are are shooters, and then you have Al Horford, who's a pick and pop big man without a pick and pop like point guard. <laughs> so, I, I think adding Al Horford to that mix has been strange. I think they they are missing like like one of those a guard who can get buckets. And I think J.J. Redick opened up a lot for them last year, flying around dribble handoffs yeah. and taking a lot of a lot of attention away from the other guys. And I think his shooting is sorely missed. I think they just don't have, like, that dynamic score that they need. Like, every team needs a dynamic score, and they just don't have it. And I, I think that's, like, a dynamic perimeter score. I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah, yeah. Can, can throw it up. But – like it's it's just hard to have a really good offense when you don't have a guy who can just break a team down and go get a bucket, and and they don't they don't really have that. And then on top of that, they have a number of non shooters who are clogging the paint for everybody else, and so that that drags down the the dynamic level of all the guys they do have already. So they they just have weird fit problems that I think they're going to need to address with an off season move, whether they trade Al Horford, whether yeah. they do something more dramatic. I don't think, like, basketball-wise, that roster makes a lot of sense. Even I, though it's obviously loaded with talent. Yeah, I agree. I think they're super talented. Like, they have these two obvious stars in Embiid and Simmons. The real question is, can they learn to play together? If Embiid, like, isn't the best shooter and he's supposed to be in the paint because that's what he does best, and Simmons isn't even willing to take threes. Like, yeah, he made one, like, whoop-de-doo, but that's not going to do anything in the long run for spacing because teams are just going to leave him out there on the perimeter in the playoffs unless he magically comes into the playoffs and starts taking them and making them in like a 30% clip which I don't see happening anytime soon then I think their spacing is screwed this year and every year until Simmons develops even like a Giannis level three-point shot yeah I see I think with a different roster composition Simmons like he does so many things at an elite level yeah and he's so big and so physical and such a good finisher. Like, I feel like if, if the roster was built around him and they had guys that, that fit his strengths, 
he would be just a force. And obviously they haven't done that. Obviously they have Embiid who kind of has trumped Simmons in their team building process and they want to build around him. I don't think they've done a service to either of those guys, honestly, with the roster they put together. I, I think they've kind of hindered both of those guys, stunted their growth with not, not putting enough playmaking and shooting around them. So it's 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 definitely a weird fit, and they have some big questions moving forward. For sure. I've said this before. I think if Ben Simmons was put in the place where Giannis is, like take Giannis off that team and insert Ben Simmons, he's going to be like a top 10 player in the league. Like that team is perfect for Ben Simmons and a guy like Ben Simmons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously the Bucks wouldn't be as good. He's not at Giannis' no, level. Yeah. But if, if you put better pieces around him to – to let him soar, then then he he's he's really talented. Like every time I watch him play, I'm like, this dude does so many things. And he's he plays really hard defense defensively now. He's versatile defensively. And he's such a great passer. And he's so strong. You you forget how strong he is sometimes. But he, he can he can really move guys inside. So I, I'm a big big Ben Simmons believer. And but in Philly right now everything is just a little weird. No, yeah, and I mean, when you have a 6'10 point guard, he's bound to be amazing, and Ben Simmons is an amazing basketball player. But um, moving to the West a little bit, before we talk about the Celtics some more, I just wanted to look at the playoff race there, because we have Oklahoma City coming out of nowhere, I'd say, this season, and being just a legit playoff team. And then Dallas, I would say, is definitely going to make it too, so that top seven seven's kind of locked up. So that leaves the eight seed, and Memphis is the only team other team above 500, but you have Portland with Lillard, San Antonio, New Orleans, and I guess maybe Phoenix, but the, those guys are the real ones competing for a spot, I'd say. And who do you think is going to get it? You think it's going to stay Memphis? Uh, I'm hoping that the Pelicans get it really? <laughs> because I want I want to see Zion in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But at, at this stage, I think the Grizzlies have it. Like, they're, they're five games up in the last column on Portland. There's not much time left in the season. They've been playing great basketball lately. You know, since since a bad start, they've they've really been one of the better teams across the league, record wise. Mm-hmm. John Morant is a stud, so I think I would be very very surprised if Memphis doesn't make the playoff. Yeah, I would too. I kind of part of me hopes Portland gets there because Damian Lillard deserves it, and I'd like to see Melo in the playoffs, but mostly just because I mean Lillard's been playing out of his mind this season. This is like what we saw with Harden last year on the Rockets. That's what Lillard's doing this season on a Trailblazers team that just has no no help around him. Like, yeah, CJ's good, and he can help too, but Nurkic is out. Whiteside's putting in a shift every night, but with all the rest of the pieces there, it's just not happening. They lost key pieces like Curry and Harkless and Alfred Camino last season that just killed them in the long run this season. And it sucks because Lillard's a playoff player. Like, he deserves to be in the playoffs, and it's just not there for him. Yeah, they, they did. I thought they did a bad job of building their roster. Like, you need wings to defend around Lillard and McCollum. Mm-hmm. And when they let Harkless go, when when they let Al Farouk Aminu go, like, they lost the guys who let those guys do what they do. Yeah. And, and they, they didn't replace that, really. Like, Kent Bazemore, I guess, Rodney Hood, they prioritized over those guys, which is fine. But, like, he wasn't great, and then he got hurt. So they've been ravaged by injuries, obviously. But I didn't think that they built a roster to withstand the, the regular season, even before the injuries. 
No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've, never, I've never been a white side guy either. I I can't stand watching Hassan Whiteside play <laughs> basketball. Just just try a little. Try a little at all times, man. Because some sometimes he can be really good, but he has moments. He has probably the worst moments of any player in the league of just checking out and not doing anything. <laughs> and it's so bothersome. I feel like that's going back to his heat days, too. He's just never been the guy to put in all offer at all times. I think that's why they're missing Nurkic right now, because Nurkic, Nurkic is a great, great center in this league, and he's very under underrated and overlooked at times. But he, he's great for that team. Yeah, it'll be good to have him back. But, yeah, the Celtics, important stretch coming up here. I think our main goal probably is to leap Toronto. Jalen Brown said earlier this season that my goal is never to get second place, but I'm sorry, Jalen, I don't think you're going to beat the eight-loss box at this point. I uh, hate to be a little reality check there, and I, I'd love them to get to one seed, but Giannis is a different beast. So what do you think it's going to take for us to leap Toronto and get to that two seed? Who do you think is like the, the factor, the missing link on the Celtics that's going to help us get over Toronto? I think health. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you look at basically all season, they've been hurt. And they haven't had Robert Williams for a while, but the injuries have been more than that. It's been Jalen Brown out sometimes. It's been Kemba Walker out sometimes. It's been Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward. Like, they've very rarely had their five best players available on the same night. And so I, I think if they get healthy and kind of survive this road trip, then they'll have a chance to – to win the second seed of these. Toronto's going to have to lose every once in a while because yeah. they haven't really done that lately. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think health is the biggest factor for Boston right now. I think they've proven that when they have all their guys, they're pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I think the fact that they haven't lost more games is a testament to just how much talent we have on this team. Like, everyone was saying we need more bench depth, with I, which I think we did. Like, I was the person saying, like, Ainge, pull a move. You have all these assets that's gonna run out soon you should start spending them but I guess I understand what he wanted like we have tons of rookies and they might not be the most experienced but you can see the talent in Grant Williams especially with the stretch down the Clippers game you can see the talent in Robbie Langford like when he played against the Hawks you can see the talent in like Tremont Waters who's in the G League all-star team like we have good draft picks it's just a matter of can they step up and contribute and I think this season we rely a lot on our top guys and when they're hurt it hurts us more and like you said, Jalen Brown is out one game and Jason Tatum is out one game. Like, that's minor things. And maybe we're not concerned for the long run because we know they're coming back. But losing games once in a while, like, those once in a while games add up. And I think that hurts us a lot when we're trying to climb the standings. Yeah, for sure. And they've been good about when just one guy's out, other other players can step yeah. up and, and be effective. And we've seen it, you know, if Jalen Brown goes out, Gordon Hayward can take on a little bit of a role if, if, if Kemba's out everybody takes on a little more usage but obviously you know when, when they're healthy their depth is a lot better and their bench is a lot more competent and and I think I think everybody on that team is excited to see what they can be if if they do get healthy yeah. for a little while heading into the playoffs and I think this year's team is much easier for Brad to handle. I think last year there was just too many big personalities. And when I say that, I mean there was one really big personality that just kind of killed it. And I think Brad's such a low-key, like, 
do his thing guy that that wasn't really something he was equipped to handle at the time. I think he'd do a better job now having experience with it. But the fact that Kemba came in and is just this this chill guy who he he said multiple times like I've been on like teams where I have to do everything and so when I'm out and I see my team winning without me, I like that. Like I n- like to know that there's talent behind me that I can have a bad night and everyone else will step up. And I think that mentality is why the Celtics are so successful this season and why we see team chemistry up because having a leader like Kemba Walker, it it allows everyone else to be the best them that they can be. Like Jason Tatum is amazing. I think this is the Jason Tatum we're starting to see that could be the like Jason Tatum every Celtics fan wished for when we saw him in the playoffs and dunking on LeBron. Like, this Jason Tatum's ridiculous. He, first of all, he went at Kawhi Leonard without fear. Second of all, he came back and clamped up Kawhi Leonard without fear. And third of all, he was taking shots that superstars are destined to take in that game. And he, just the way he stepped up showed that he has the confidence to be the best player on this team. And I think at this point, maybe he even is the best player on this team. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been really good two-way. I think, back to your point about Kemba and his leadership style, last year, like, Kyrie wasn't the only issue. He was far from the only one. Like, yeah. They had so many different factors. I'm not sure I've ever seen a team deal <laughs> with so many factors that, that just worked against them all season. From, you know, they had the playoff run the year before, and Tatum Brown and Terry Rozier got a taste of stardom, and then – they come back and they're in smaller roles. They had Gordon Hayward, who was coming back from injury, clearly not himself at yeah. all. And they're trying to work him back in while dealing with all the other stuff with the other guys. Then you got Kyrie, who was impatient with all of it and just decided to, you know, take a match in the locker room, light it on fire, and just throw it in the middle of the locker room sometimes. They had everybody on the team kind of had a scores mentality. And I think that's if you look at the roster, that's one major difference this year is they are built around their five best players and all the other guys, whether it's Grant Williams, Brad Wanamaker, uh, obviously Edmonds Kendrick is a little different because he rebounds, but yeah. and gets buckets, but Daniel Tice, like those guys are out there just to complement the main, the main players. And that, that's very different from when you're bringing, you know, Terry Rozier or you have Marcus Morris or, I mean, last year their bench was Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward coming yeah. off the bench for the latter half of the season. So it's it's just a, a very different mix. And and I think that's benefited the Celtics some. I think their depth could still be a little bit of an issue. Like mm-hmm. they could have used an upgrade on their eighth eighth guy, probably like whoever is going to play the, the minutes, whether it's Brad Wanamaker, Grant Williams, Shimmy Ojale, the they could have maybe stood to upgrade that with a veteran, but they didn't find the right guy out there on the trade deadline. And and so now, you know, a lot is going to be in the hands of those top players. And I think to your point about Tatum, to me, like the Celtics right now, I consider them like a, a fringe contender. Like if everything goes right in the playoffs, yeah. they have they have a small chance to me mm-hmm. of winning a championship. I don't know. I don't know exactly what that chance is, but it's small. To, for them to take a step beyond that, they need Tatum to become like one of the best players in the universe. <laughs> and I think he's their best chance to develop that guy. And almost every team that wins a title has a guy like that. And I don't know what his chances are of becoming that, but we've seen more signs of it over the last month. Uh, he's been so good. And that Clippers mm-hmm. game, 
was felt like his arrival. Like he was guarding Kawhi. Yeah. He was getting to the he was getting to the hoop. He was doing everything, and it was like, oh wow, like that is an all-world performance. Mm-hmm. And not many guys can even have one performance like that, where they're doing it on both ends of the court and standing toe-to-toe with Kawhi. And and Tatum had that moment, and then he went to the All-Star game. And we'll, we'll see how his career progresses, but the last month and a half from him, whatever it's been, he's been just just really, really good on both ends of the court. For sure. I think a big part of the the big teams is you mentioned with Philly that they don't have that guy who can be their closer. I, I would phrase it like Jimmy Butler was who they hoped would be that. And they lost him. And now they don't really have a guy like a good perimeter guy who can fill it in. And like all the t- contending teams have that, like the Lakers have LeBron, the Clippers have George and Leonard. Um, the Bucks have Giannis, but even past that, I would say Middleton isn't afraid to take those shots at the end of the games. And we saw that with Tatum in that Clippers game, and I would say we've seen it with him multiple times this season. Like in the other Clippers game, when he crossed up Paul George and took that shot, that takes balls. Like when he hit that shot at the end of the Knicks game, like I know they're the Knicks, but you still iced a game and then went to trot off like you're the king of the world like that takes confidence right there and i think if we see the tatum that we saw in the this past clippers game every game in the playoffs then that's gonna be a scary scary celtics team and i think that's what tatum needs to do to take the next step and it's crazy that i'm saying that because he's already so good and telling him to take the next step sounds crazy right now but i mean he showed he can do it so i want to see more of it yeah that consistency is what separates the top guys right like Mm -hmm. Why it was such a big deal to do it against Kawhi is Kawhi does that every single night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just what he does. And so Tatum showed it once. We'll we'll see how consistent he gets. But obviously he's shown shown a lot of signs over the past month. It seems like he's taken maybe that, that leap that everyone wanted from him last year and kind of was delayed a little bit. Yeah. So obviously we have two young superstars or budding superstars, I'd say, in Brown and Tatum. I think Tatum's a level above Brown at this point, and I think maybe he always will be. Like, I love Brown. I think he's a great player, but Tatum's just got that it factor, it seems like. And so we have now, I would say, like with Kemba and Hayward in the, I wouldn't say later years of their prime because they're both what, around 30. I'd say we have, like, till their contracts are up to win a title with this team. I'm not going to count them out when they're older than that, but what, a 34, 35-year-old Kemba is going to be the same Kemba we have today. I struggle to believe that. Like, you can point to LeBron and say, oh, he's 36, he's amazing, or he's 35, or however old he is. But that LeBron's a different a different animal. Like, you can't compare people to LeBron. And so I was on Twitter, and I saw someone in my mention say that maybe we should consider trading Kemba at the end of his contract and letting our young point guards get a role and trying to get something back for him. And I was kind of iffy on that because – why trade a guy like Kemba that you're paying max money to who still could be crucial in winning a championship? What do you think about that idea? Trading him when? Just like near the end of his contract. They were telling me like trade him in the next couple of years. Like they were saying something along the lines of if Carson or Tremont can step up to the point where they can be a good complimentary Carson and piece. Tremont are like they're not even NBA players, right? Yeah, now. exactly. Like they're, they're G League players. To me, Kemba Walker, like, he probably hasn't gotten enough credit for how much he's been. No, for sure. Offense. I agree. When when he's on the court, they've been just ridiculously tough to, to guard. And when he's off the court, they've oftentimes struggled to score. 
Uh, I think the the amount of attention he draws, his ability to to stop on a dime and shoot three pointers has been huge. Yeah, and then I think also like he's the right type of star to have because as the team transitions sure. to Tatum's team, assuming it does, then he'll be he'll be cool with it. He'll just hand the baton over and smile really wide as as Tatum does cool things with it. So. I, I don't think considering moving Kemba, especially for the guys currently on the Celtics roster, is something that, that would make sense at this point. I mean, a couple of years from now, what are the options on the table? I have no idea. Yeah. But but right now he's a he's a crucial, crucial part of what they do. And I think they, they their offense really needs him. No, I agree. I, I was against it too. I was just, I just remembered that randomly and wanted to get your thoughts on it because I thought it was a little, a little crazy. But I wanted to maybe like check myself <laughs> for a second. Um, another question is: Al Horford left this season, obviously, and I, there was something in the media about him saying like, "Oh, I didn't know Kemba was coming. Maybe things would have been different." Blah blah blah. But do you think when Hayward and or maybe Kemba's contracts are up, they take a pay cut to stay with this team with Tatum and Brown? Because uh, I, I don't mean, know if I want to be paying a what thirty-four-year-old Hayward thirty million dollars. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of the Al Horford situation, right? Exactly. Where Al he has Hayward has a player option. I, I think the entire league is pretty interested to see what he decides to do with that, because uh, obviously, you know, he, he's a he's an important part of what the Celtics do. He's not the most important part, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think that's one of the one of the major questions for the Celtics moving forward is what happens with Hayward. Does he opt in? Does he opt out? Does he want to stay with the Celtics on a long term deal? How expensive is their roster going to get long term? Because it's going to get pretty damn expensive. And are they good enough that the owners are cool with paying whatever sum of money that it will take to keep this core around? I think they're like close to good enough that yeah. You at least have to consider it, uh, especially the way Tatum has kind of progressed recently. But, but like that is going to be a super expensive roster if they keep that core together for a long time. And so the Hayward, the Hayward situation, it's interesting. It's it's really interesting, and I think it's a lot like the Al Horford situation last year, except obvious, obviously, the Celtics haven't imploded all season, yeah. kind of forcing him out the door. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with that, too. I'd agree. And you got Tatum up for an extension this summer, too. Do you think there's any world that the Celtics don't give him a max extension? No, I, I think I think he'll end up getting a max extension. I mean, uh, I don't see why why you wouldn't at yeah. this point. <laughs> I'd it, agree. It's pretty clear he's going to get max money. And obviously, it's not the, like the full veteran max. But mm-hmm. he's going to end up, I mean... If he keeps playing the way he, he has lately, then he'll have a chance to make all NBA team either this year or next. And if he does that, that max is even more expensive. So that's another thing they they may have to start planning for, and another another thing that could could boost their salary long term. So the owners they're gonna have to reach deep into their pockets. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully they don't pull a Red Sox and just trade their best talent because they're afraid of paying a little extra money. But, yeah, don't um, even get me started on that. <laughs> no, that's a little crazy. We'll we'll keep it basketball for now. But uh, if I'm 
mistaken, maybe I am. Semi is contract is up this season too because he was drafted the same year as Tatum. So is his his contract's up this year too, right? I I believe so. Think that sounds right. <laughs> so do you think uh, we keep Semi? Is he that important to the team that we? I wouldn't say we prioritize him obviously because we got Tatum and potentially Hayward hitting the market this season. But like, do we do we sign Semi again? So Shemi has, yeah, he's a, uh, he's, he's got a, uh, he's, he'll be a restricted free agent. Yeah. Uh, no, he's got a team option. Sorry. Oh, okay. He's got one more team option left. Yeah. One more year. I, I, I was thinking that that sounded wrong, um, but you have me convinced. <laughs> Do you think it is but, time yeah. to move on or you don't think it is? No, I mean, uh, he's, he's fine. Yeah, he's yeah. fine where he does. He's been fine. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on with role players like that. It all depends on the price. Exactly. Like I, I, I can't imagine Semi asking for more than a few million. Like he's, he, I think he knows his role at this point, which is good. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely knows his role. Defense, hit an occasional three, and that's about it. Yeah, I think I'm looking at the books this year, and 2021 is going to be a pretty big year for the Celtics. You got, let's see, you got Gordon Hayward. If well, let's assume he accepts his 30 million dollars, because I think he'd be either crazy not to, or he couldn't figure out a way to negotiate a cheaper deal to stay with us long term. So you got Hayward hitting the market. Um, Tatum will probably be locked up at that point. Then you got Tice, Cantor. Poirier, who I don't even know about, Semi, if we accept his team option, and Javante Green. And I think it's all about, like, this season determining who the key pieces are for the Celtics. Like, like we've seen Brad so far experiment with these eight-man rotations that I think is what we're going to see in the playoffs. Like, obviously the core five, Cantor, Tice, and then, depending on the matchup, we see... Uh, Brad or Semi or maybe even Javante if necessary and I think what's key and what Brad and Ainge have probably been looking at this year is who's going to be the most useful against the most teams like obviously Semi matches up I wouldn't say obviously not perfectly against Giannis but he's a good matchup for Giannis to stick him on him and try to slow him down with that strength Wanamaker is a good guard to put against like maybe the Sixers or maybe actually not the Sixers just like he can get around quick. He's a very efficient shooter, I'd say, despite some midseason struggles. And then Javante is just explosive, so it's all a matter of what you prioritize more in the long run there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they're going to be built around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown yeah. and Kemba Walker and maybe Gordon Hayward if he stays around and Marcus Smart too. So they're going to they're gonna have a ton of money committed to those guys, you know, moving forward. They'll have to be smart with their draft picks. They'll have maybe trade options um, with their three first-round picks this summer. They'll have, but most of their, a lot of their decisions will come. You know, who's going to get the mid-level? Who who do you look to get with with the veteran minimum slots to to lure them over and, and may, maybe add a, you know another rotation guy? And then how do the young guys like Grant Williams, Romeo Langford? Carson Edwards, how do they develop? Do they give you, you know, an, another legitimate rotation player at some point? We'll see. But yeah. I, I think a lot of the decisions at this point, honestly, have been made. And Gordon Hayward has to make his own decision this summer. But 
for the Celtics. Like a, lo- a lot of their roster moves moving forward, I think it'll be a, more on the fringes rather than like huge moves to their nucleus. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, despite having Kemba Hayward and Brown and soon to be Tatum on these big, huge deals, the Celtics have some of the better contracts in the league. Like Smart for 13 mil, not bad. Cantor and Tice both for only 5 mil. That's a great deal for two solid centers that like rotate in and out of the starting rotation for us. Semi Ojale, Brad Wanamaker making under two mil. Like we got good contracts, I would say. Yeah. I mean, some of those, some of those are pretty good contracts. Uh, You know, to me, like the swing guys for them right now, or I think Lankford is a swing guy. I think Grant Williams, he becomes more than like the 15 or 20 minute per game guy is maybe a swing guy. I think Robert Williams is a big, big swing guy for them. If if he kind of pans out, then that will really help them formulate a a strong center rotation, even though they'll have limited options moving mm-hmm. forward because of, you know, the, the money constraints and all, all the money they have elsewhere. Yeah, I've talked about this before. I think, I feel like Grant Williams is slowly doing all the stuff that Semi Ojale does, like, just guarding the bigger guys and sticking with them. Like, obviously, we saw him, I wouldn't say get killed by Harrell, but he got he got baptized a little bit with that dunk. He He's getting bullied, but I think if he can learn to stick with them, then maybe him and Semi are the same-ish player. So at that point, which one do you keep? Grant's obviously younger. I don't know, but overall, our roster is solid. But I was going to ask you, uh, who's your favorite rookie at this point i asked some of my other podcast guests but who's your who do you think your favorite rookie is seeing them because we have a lot uh, i think grant williams is pretty clearly right now head and shoulders above everybody else mm-hmm. um i think he's the one with probably a pretty good chance to play at least some playoff minutes yeah i think his, his ability to play small ball five has been pretty impressive for like a six six rookie that that's rare and i, I know the nba has changed i know it's a lot different but it's still really tough to to play center in the NBA at six foot six, and it's really tough to play center in the NBA. Period. As a rookie, yeah. and he's done a really good job, especially defensively with that. So I, I've kind of been really, really impressed by his his IQ. Uh, obviously, he has. He's not like certainly not the tallest guy or the longest guy or the quickest guy, but but he's just really smart and knows where to be, and he kind of plays more like a veteran than a rookie. No, yeah, I agree. I think the way he stepped up when Tice fouled out, and it was obviously Cantor, or obvious Cantor couldn't keep up with Harrell and guard him in the paint. I think he really stepped up and played. Like, as much as he got bullied, solid defense against that team. Like, he got that late block on Lou Will. He showed his ability to kind of man the paint, and I think more, more than that, he showed promise. He showed the ability that he could in the future be that guy for us. Um, and last little discussion, I would say, before we wrap this up. Do you think the Celtics make any signings? Like, do you think we sign a free agent or a buyout market guy, or do you think this is the team we go with into the playoffs? Uh, I think they'll at this point it'll probably be the group they have right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, someone on the buyout market could shake free, but they have 15 guys on the roster right now. To to waive a guy it would be eating guaranteed money, and I'm not sure there there will be anybody potentially available that would make them want to do that that would probably crack the rotation i thought marvin williams was like the type of player that they would might want to target that it would be worth it to clear that roster spot but 
I'm not sure there there will be that like tempting guy who who's on the bio market that that they'll want to get. Yeah, I feel... so we're saying no Isaiah Thomas reunion this year. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably I... not. He had a hell of a run though. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense with uh. Kemba already on the team. Another small ball guard won't really help us in the long run. But yeah, this was fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything you want to like plug or say before we wrap it up here? Uh, no, thanks. I appreciate you having me on, man. This was fun. Yeah, this is a great time. Once again, thank you. I'm going to probably edit this, tweet it out right afterwards. But um, yeah, thanks for listening to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA. See you guys next time. Peace. <laughs>